So, Mike, we are now back once again to one of the maybe one of the greatest years in cinema history. Uh, we talked about this when we did our Godfather episode. Of course, we were referencing yeah. the Godfather Part Two, and you came in mm. with the scalding hot take that Godfather Two was not even your favorite movie, or not even my favorite Coppola movie of that year. <laughs> yes, yes. So now we get to talk about your favorite Coppola movie of that particular year in. The conversation. All of my emotions feel the same, feel the same. You don't like where this is going. Look away, look away. You're not in my way, you're in my path. Look at that. All of my emotions feel the same. What a laugh. Cover your tattoo. Something she can do. But you can't erase mistakes. Starring Gene Hackman, which strangely enough, as we're sitting down to record this, I can't remember who it was, but someone gave an update on Gene Hackman on Twitter. Uh, sent, you know, there's a little picture of him. He's now 91 years old. He's enjoying his retirement. He's having a great time. He's looking good. Um, so happy for Gene Hackman. He retired from Hollywood and is living his best life, uh, which you cannot say about the character he plays in the conversation. I don't think you could say he's really living his no, best No, he went life out here. on a high note with Welcome to Mooseport with Ray Romano. That was that was definitely the one to say <laughs> enough is enough. I thought for a second, I thought you were referencing the end of this movie of him going out on a high note considering uh, how he ends this movie, which is a very nice little reference there that I don't Absolutely think you're trying not. for now. No. The way you're shaking <laughs> the way you're shaking your head at me ruefully I like am how dare you pitcher who is shaking off his catcher and getting frustrated at the, the calls. <laughs> no, no, yeah. not the fastball. No, yeah, no. I'm, I'm not liking how you're calling this game, uh, Dave. Uh, I don't know why I liked this so much when I was younger. This is a, um, it's not, no, there's nothing really sexy uh, about our lead character. Nothing really appealing about what he does. If you're into, you know, the spycraft type of stuff, I can see like, uh, you know, the, the technical dweebs being into it or just uh, the titillating nature of the, the work. But certainly our main character here is played by Hackman doesn't seem to revel in any of it. Seems as they can, I mean, next to zero enjoyment. Um, <laughs> Harry Call is a, he is a sort of a fuddy-duddy when it comes to his work, and he's all about the getting it right. You know, the, the, he's very, actually, it's very Bill Belichick-like. It's just do your job and then <laughs> take no joy in the Super Bowl that you won. Or if you do, enjoy it for an afternoon and then it's back to work, back to the grind. So yeah, why Why did I, I bought this blind buy on DVD, I guess, as a teenager? And I, I loved it. But yeah, I watched it now. I can't say I've rewatched it a lot because I think it's very much a mood movie. But as an old man, uh, <laughs> this is a character that's looking back at his legacy uh, with some sense of regret uh, for, for being so, um, I guess, would you say callous is the word? Or sort of unforgiving that the, the process uh, is his only hand in it? That he Whatever happens afterwards with these tapes that he makes when he spies on people, that's none of his concern, none of his business. But he seems to come around to the idea that he's actually spying on people. Which right. makes, um, and I, I, I'm just warned if you've not seen this one, uh, you know, what's wrong with you, uh, first, but, uh, <laughs> second, uh, I probably shouldn't say that because you opened with this being a hot take. Uh, this in some regards is a forgotten classic. Um, I'm not saying that's unavailable because it was a Francis Ford Coppola film, but 
by virtue of it coming out the same year as a sequel to at the time like the most successful like right. adult drama of all time uh it doesn't seem to get the shine probably rightfully so that the godfather series does but i do want to say you know spoiler warning um the fact that our lead character picks this time to start becoming interested in the people <laughs> he spies on what a gut punch of an ending this he, oh, he doesn't yeah. even get to be seen as like a martyr uh doing nope. like a heroic act he just seems uh like a paranoid putz in a way and oh, yeah yeah, apparently 16-year-old Mike is like, I dig this. I <laughs> yes. dig that guy. So let me let me prove your point for you, Mike, as far as this not getting the shine that it should. I saw this for the first time probably five years ago, and before that, I had never heard of it. Didn't even – didn't recognize it as a Francis Ford Coppola movie, had never mm. heard of the conversation. No one really talked about it. I think this is another – this may be another one of those that, like, I only knew anything about because you had mentioned it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I looked, oh, Francis Ford Coppola, Gene Hackman. Oh, okay. I'll watch this. And it, and even with high expectations, like knowing that it was highly regarded critically and it had these actors that I really liked and this master of the craft behind the camera, it's still better than I imagined it to be. It's like just from a technical standpoint, like this is one of the most impressive films I've ever seen. Like the the choices that they make to kind of relive this sequence like it must have be nine or ten times during this movie this original sequence that he's recording um is a really kind of gutsy move from a filmmaking perspective because it, it would be very easy for an audience to get bored watching the same thing over and over again and i could imagine certain audience members having that reaction hmm. but for me watching him piece this together it not only creates the narrative that you have in the film but it it gives you insight into this man and into the dedication and his own craft that he's putting forward. And it kind of tells you everything you need to know. And also, it's a tremendous acting performance from Hackman, um, where you are seeing his process and how he's getting closer and closer to this and becoming more human through this. And there's no dialogue to support it. It's all kind of internalized performance. And I think... And I don't think it's even close. I think it's Hackman's best performance, and it's not even close. It's weird because, from a plot point of view, uh, his performance is, of course, defined uh, by dialogue, just not anybody his. he gets to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. What did you... I mean, because in a way, it's a film about storytelling, uh, or it's a story mm. this mm -hmm. one guy is telling himself about these people that he's been tasked uh, to, to eavesdrop on and to record their conversation. Uh, what did you make of... A somewhat sneaky decision of Coppola to have the dialogue uh, re-recorded uh, with different sort of inflections and tone, mm. given that we're hearing it from the perspective of of the Harry character. Uh, because I, I could see if someone caught on to it, they may say that's like dirty pool. That's like, no, no, we should hear the same tape exactly. And somehow he pieces it together. But I really, I really dig the fact that it has this, I was about to say dreamlike, but it's really nightmarish quality mm -hmm. to where it's yeah. just something that's just crawling around in his subconscious that he missed something and he's, he's going to make a mistake like he did before. If he doesn't, doesn't crack this riddle. Yeah. I, I honestly think if you make this movie without that quote unquote dirty trick, I don't think it's a good movie. 
I think I think it's kind of dull. Like he's just listening yeah, to the same yeah, tape over and yeah. over. Yeah, and I think you you bring up one. You bring up a great point about how this really is about storytelling, and you literally like plucked a word directly from my brain that I was thinking of as you were speaking about this. His perspective, and this is this is what the conversation is about: is how perspective changes you, right? Because as you mentioned, the the not the beginning of this movie, but before the beginning of this movie, you hear this story from this jackass at this quote-unquote party um, about Harry Cole's past. And his perspective then was completely objective. Don't care. Here is your tape. Leave me alone. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cash my check and move on with my life. Um, and never tell anybody that this actually impacted me. And I'm going to move forward. And then by the end of this, it's like, no... What I do matters. What I do has an impact. I have to actually think about what I'm doing. And strangely, and this is, it's such a dark movie because him having empathy ends up leading him down the wrong path. And that is, that, I mean, a gut punch is not a strong enough word. That is like a knife between the ribs. Like this movie, I, you know, there's there's an obvious comparison, obvious double feature in uh, De Palma's blowout here. Um, but it works as a double feature on so many levels, not just because it's about, you know, it's it, it's about surveillance um, and it's about sound. Not not just that, but just the fact the way that these two movies end. And I'm not going to give away how Blowout ends in case people haven't seen it, because I truly think it's the greatest ending in cinema history. So watch it. Um, Let me interrupt. But there's some similarities. I totally understand why Teenage Mike loved Blowout so much. Well, anything, yes. Anything yes, De Palma yes. as a teenager. Yes. Like a catnip yes. That days. one makes a lot of sense. Yes. And, and 30-something-year-old Mike, too, to be fair. Yeah, like, I'm not aged out of it. Not, not dead much yet. Is, not much has changed. <laughs> so i got blood pumping through my veins. Heart's so, still pounding. <laughs> so I think a lesser, a lesser movie mm. could have had an ending here where – Call has made the right decision, or as you mentioned, he becomes a martyr. But instead, he's a sucker. He's a patsy. And he, you know, tears his own home apart because he's so terrified because of the mistakes that he's made. And it and it's built into the script so well when you have these moments where he's so upset at essentially his landlady who has a key to his house. So you get his mindset. Uh, so the end of the movie ends up making sense because I think if you have any character, any other character doing what he does at the end of this film, you're like, this is a crazy person. Like, I don't I don't relate to this man at all. But because it's kind of baked in, all of that stuff really works. And him just like sitting in his home, essentially rocking himself to comfort with his instrument as his house is destroyed by his own hands. It's really impactful. Like every time I watch this, I keep waiting. I've watched it three times now in the last five years. And I keep waiting for it to not feel that way because you know what's coming. Because this is kind of a twist ending. Um, but even when you know what's happening, it's like it's like watching a car accident in slow motion. You can't stop it. You can't give a happy ending to Harry. And it just, it hurts. I, well, I thought you were going to make a joke that you watched it uh, three times since we were supposed to record on it, and you what? just want. <laughs> I just wanted to refer. What happens? <laughs> That's fair. Also, That's I probably the, should have. The haters of this, which I actually tried to program this about, uh, you know, probably eight months ago on Trilogy and Theory. Uh, mm. I want to do a month on 
Uh, uh, do you hate, hate your co-host because he hates Gene Hackman so much? He <laughs> really doesn't like this movie, he said. He's like, all right, we can do the other two, but I don't want to do the conversation. I'm like, but the conversation is like the centerpiece of this. That's, 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 that's why I'm cool, doing that's, this. That's, that's the entree, sir. And you're, you're saying, yeah, we can do more of the peanuts if you want, uh, more of the bar food, um, <laughs> which I think, you know, Oliver Stone's Nixon was in there. Uh, I think the other one was Kiss Me Deadly. It was going to be a good. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Way to ruin, uh, ruin it, Webb. Uh, instead, we did some more superhero shit, which you'll hear, you know, on this feed, unfortunately, too. But yeah, some straight to DVD, Disney, or DC animated thing. And, oh uh, yeah, that's uh, right. I think we did Batman vs Superman. It's, it's it's a good old time on Trilogy and Theory. If you want, some, <laughs> if you want more. You want to hear? If you want to hear Mike in pain? <laughs> you can listen to that. I wanted to ask you what you thought about um, this anger that is, I guess. Mostly personified by Harrison Ford, which is it's a great, great part for Harrison Ford. Oh, it's pre, such a gross, gross part, but it's so pre good. Uh, hero in all sorts of uh, franchise uh, films uh, as just intimidating, handsome guy um, yeah. who is about as charming, honestly, as Gene Hackman here because uh, they're both <laughs> yes. they're both. You playing, mean not is that... right? <laughs> Well, because they're both playing functions. And what I love about Harrison Ford's role here is he is appalled that this other function in this huge machine is daring to operate outside, like, the designated boundaries here. And it's it's really weird. Like, you know, I'm sure people didn't really think about it too much then because he wasn't yet Harrison Ford. It's really weird to watch now or yes, you know, even yes. five years later after, you know, Star Wars. I, and to be honest, I always forget he's in this movie. Like, I saw his name come up in the cast list, and I just, I did not see this for 15 years. I saw it three or four years ago, and I was like, Harrison Ford's in this? Because it's such a different part for him, but he's so good. It's it's interesting to me to see uh, sort of a takedown on sort of our, our capitalist ways, where the well-compensated are asked to be subhuman in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually we say that with very low paying, uh, jobs, you know, you get into like the Norma Ray style thing where it's like, just be happy that you even have a job type of thing right. or like, right. uh, you know, someone putting, going into a coal mine, that sort of thing where, uh, their humanity is stripped away and they're like, well, this is the only decision I have left. Uh, and I have to accept it. I like seeing it where it's like, you know, Harry here is well regarded in his field. He has some Harry. degree of, I guess, infamy uh, given their their craft, uh, but he is at the top of his his game. And then you have someone as movie star handsome as Harrison Ford, uh, who is shocked and appalled. That's like, but we like we sold off our ability to like make other decisions or to make any sort right. of judgments or assessments just, of ourselves. Just do your job. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I, I felt like that's an interesting take because usually, you know, it's, it's someone being taken advantage of that doesn't have a choice, but our main character. Right. And I do think this contributes to it to be, as I said, somewhat of a, a hidden gem of a classic that I do believe when it came out, it did very well for itself. Uh, you know, it made like 4 million on a $1 million budget or something like that. Like it's, but you know, it was also nominated for best picture. So it was well regarded then. I don't want to think they just slipped through the cracks, but it is interesting to, to see, um, where a lead character is going to be. So, I mean, this is not a movie star part at all. What is there about this character that even you said you, you get to the ending where he attempts to redeem himself and he just looks pathetic 
Even though right. he's he's making the noble choice, there's no, nothing sexier or glamorous about what he did. Even even if he was killed off, that would have been the sexy ending. Oh yeah, where he sacrificed himself in some way, uh, and instead um, he goes against <laughs> his sort of life's work. Finally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and for the most part, uh, like at least the way we end him, he's being trolled <laughs> by Han yeah. Solo, and he's trolling himself. Uh, I, it just is not something that uh, is going to give you the warm and fuzzies, or even for a thriller where it's like, um, like blowout. Uh, I think probably when you made that comparison, people might think like, well, it's not that bad until like the final scene. Um, because I think that the way John Travolta looks and you you see him in that film, the way he's trying to overcome looks more heroic here. There's nothing about the way Gene Hackman plays it. I mean, he has this one moment, of uh, physical rebellion where he throws like a manila envelope like on the ground outside building <laughs> but then he still gets. <laughs> he still goes and retrieves it he like still yeah. i can't uh, like it. i can't uh, do that all right <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting i didn't think of this until you mentioned it but that scene between him and harrison ford kind of the first scene where he's just kind of like why would you why are you taking a stand on this like this mm-hmm. doesn't make here's your money just give me the tapes. What do you, this is? I how have now this completed uh, my function as I've been paid. You've completed yours. Why are you making this difficult on me? Exactly, and uh, I didn't think of it then, but only when you mention it. This feels like the science fiction movie where the the android starts glitching <laughs> and is out. And I didn't think of it, but especially the way Harrison Ford looks because he's got the he's already got the movie star good looks, mm-hmm. and he's like. Like, made up in such a way where, like, everything is clear and there's almost no expression. So it comes off very science fiction-like, but then you have the, you know, the malfunctioning Gene Hackman robot that's just like, (laughs) nope, I have feelings now. I guess we're doing this. And it was like, and watching that was wildly uncomfortable. Uh, Because, and I think because Gene Hackman is not your typical leading man. He is a leading man for this era. But when he plays leading men, he doesn't play the dashing romantic leading man, right? Like, probably the movies he's most known for as far as being leads is probably, like, what, The French Connection? Yeah. That was Where he plays, like, a dirty racist cop um, mm-hmm. who, I guess, has a heart of gold underneath. And then movies like this. So he's really kind of – he's playing with his type but against the type of the type of movie this usually is right you do expect the john travolta like like moments here where he like stands up and does the right thing and looks good doing it and does it for the right reasons and isn't fooled but that the conversation is not that kind of movie it's just and it also it makes me wonder if it has become forgotten or is a quote unquote hidden gem because it goes against convention in all those ways. Blowout goes against convention in the final frames. This goes against convention all the way through. Like, even the scene with, the like, this weird party get-together with all these, like, wiretappers. Like, he becomes the joke. Even though he is well-known in these circles and he's the best wiretapper on the East Coast and all that good stuff. He gets played. He gets trolled by by his competition in that scene. And... There's not a moment where he gets to, like, lash out and you're like, yeah, go Harry, you got him. He becomes like like an infant in that scene. You know, he breaks the little pen and everybody get out and he kind of cries about it. And you're like, but this is our hero. This is the guy we're following. And, like, even 
even the scenes with him and John Cazale, which like talk about having like the best track record of any actor ever. I think it's something like he was in six movies and all of them were nominated for best picture. Like he just like was in nothing but great movies. And I think those scenes with him and Harry are probably the most human scenes in the movie. And he's maybe the only person that Harry apologizes to halfway. Like when he comes back kind of hat in hand, like I need you. That's a really moving sequence. Um, but it kind of stops there. Everything goes to shit after, after that sequence. But I really enjoyed their give and take both the initial when Harry is just like abusing him basically. And then when he has this realization, and I think it's a connection to how Harry is becoming more human and making different choices now, like him bringing him back into the fold means something. Listen, that, that, that wasn't serious. It was just a stupid argument. I, that wasn't it, Harry. It's just that I figured it was time I move up. That's all. No, I understand. I don't want you telling about any of my things. No, that's not ethical. There's no that much you ever let me in on, Harry. Maybe that's the problem. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you along faster. I'll show you some of the stuff. You won't show me anything. Keep it all to yourself. You know damn well you will. I really can't stand. Wait a while. Will you think about it? Don't do this to me now. Some guy's following me. I don't know. It has something to do with the assignment last week. I don't know what it's about, but I, but I don't like it. I mean, good for uh, that. That's the character of Stan uh, that you're referencing because he doesn't need to be in this particular fold. Not at this moment. No, um, no. I, I was going to ask what um, what did you think of Cindy Williams uh, as what appears to be the the damsel in distress uh, in some regard uh, with these? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it takes long, depending on which you know connotation i guess of the uh the the conversation the delivery uh mm -hmm. where it's meant to be perceived as these two lovers uh mm -hmm. i guess on the run um i don't know even in my rewatches if i ever necessarily care about this because you are mm -hmm. just dropped into it and anything outside of the recorded conversation uh just confirms that there's some sort of closeness to um the the director here uh, that's mm -hmm. the only thing that he knows about robert duvall who's the the client um right. that he works uh with this man on the recording that he's in the office building as uh harry's being so warmly escorted by uh harrison ford <laughs> uh to yes. the elevator but i didn't i i i know so little i'm interested in what they're talking about and i'm interested in some green their plight um, but I don't know if that's just me really seeing it through the eyes of Harry, where it's like, I'm not, I don't necessarily care what they're up to. I guess I'm only concerned about the time, the date, what mm -hmm. apparently this impending doom that they have, not necessarily the, the nature of their relationship, which like Harry, maybe I should have, you know, paid a little bit more attention <laughs> to the, the finer yes. details. Yeah. I mean, I think you're actually kind of glancing at the point I'm about to make is that I think if you care too much about her as the damsel in distress, I think this movie falls apart. And I think you, you feel so betrayed by the ending that then you go like, this was the dirty trick, the way you put you this take together. It out of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. But because there's this, it's not, it's not a sense of mystery, but there's a sense of like 
obtuseness to that performance that it could be anything going on there. And then again, perspective, right? If you're looking at it from the perspective of Harry, you start to believe that she is in trouble and you start to buy it. And then by the end of the movie, when it flips on you, the performance is so obtuse that you're like, oh yeah, actually this works too. And that is a very specific kind of performance. And like, it's not my favorite, but it might be the best performance in the movie because of that. Cause that is a really hard thing to master to get both of those things in a way that's believable, but not, but you can't passionately defend either one of them. And I don't know how much of that is performance and how much of that is doing, you know, a thousand takes and the direction of it and the way it's formed. Cause this is, as I mentioned, this is a movie about craft, not only in terms of Harry's craft, but the craft of film and the way that, I mean, this may be the, the greatest movie to watch if you want to defend the auteur theory. Like this is very, such a, such a sculpted movie and it's framed in such a way that's like, I am going to make you experience this movie in a certain way. And he kind of, and Coppola kind of su- succeeds at every turn. I think it is one of my favorite directed movies I have ever seen. Like, I think if you put someone else in control of this, not necessarily it's going to be bad, but it's going to be such a different film. And I guess I remember reading him and the cinematographer, the original cinematographer, had these like violent debates about this. And he ended up firing him because he was like, no, that's not the movie we're making. We're going to do something totally different. So he replaced him like two months into the movie and kind of reshot the whole thing. So that's how much control Coppola had over this movie. And you really feel it. You feel the cinematography. You feel the sound design. And you and you feel the, the kind of the closeness of the camera on Hackman at all times. Even when he's watching this tape and constructing it. It's so intense. Like it's almost uncomfortable to be there with him. And that goes through all the way to the last frame of the film. Yeah, can you think of a warmer movie on process uh, than this? Like, I, <clears throat> I think I'd like a more recent one. No, I say recent. It's been you know, almost a, a decade now. Moneyball with Brad Pitt is oh, about yeah. the process yeah. of that particular baseball team and how they're going to change the the culture and the mindset of how they uh, field uh, said team. It's also Brad Pitt. He's got the, like, that helps. The shaggy hair. Yeah, uh, he's playing a little bit removed, but also like you see him. Uh, caring so much that he breaks mm-hmm. things mid season, not, not as a means of self preservation at the end of the two hour runtime. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I I do think that it's it's bold uh, to have such a standoffish character as yeah. opposed to trying to to pitch why this matters so much <laughs> to them. Like like in Moneyball, you get so many people saying. Oh, this is why. Like, you know, this is the backstory right. of this guy, and he's trying, you know, trying to do it the right way for once. Harry, um, at times, like, you wonder if, like, he has, he has nothing else going on. So it's like that's is that why he's so good? Is he, <laughs> is he like one of the? Uh, you know, we're recording this during the Olympics, uh, and this is not to take anything away from swimmer, track and field, gymnast, what have you, but the amount of hours it takes to perfect those highly specific fields that they're in that that craft on display uh it does set you apart in some way and it's you know i think we've seen with this one in particular you've seen a lot of the athletes talking about sort of their mental well-being uh on being so hyper-focused it's 
cool to see the end result of that. And I think that's what most people, that's why there's some pushback in particular on this Olympics. People just want to see you just basically dance for us, perform, do -hmm. something really cool. And then I'll care about it four years later. It's not so cool to see someone and their lives consumed by one particular thing so much so that he can't even really enjoy a beautiful woman hitting on him without (laughs) pivoting back to like all of his despair and sadness that he just unloads on someone and give an opportunity. And that's probably him like thinking that he's being really open when what he's really doing is he's shoving people away again. Cause he's yeah. not interacting with them. He's just having this one sided conversation with himself. Right. It's funny. I'm laughing to myself. Cause you asked me like, is there a warmer movie about process? And I'm like, pick any movie about process and it's warmer <laughs> than this. Like, you know, well, like, like what about like the, the green mile? Is that, I guess that is still, warm too. still warmer. <laughs> it is still. That's about executing an innocent man. Shit. Right. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the movie that comes to mind when I think about process is adaptation, um, the Nicolas Cage film. And there's a lot of warmth in that, even though, and you talked about despair and sadness and that's all there. Right. You still have a twin brother who's a really got a really positive attitude. And there's all these fantasy sequences and you got Meryl Streep smoking pot and having a good time. Talking about, uh, you know, what is, uh, what is that great character actress? What was her name that, uh, you know, has, uh, uh, she reveals her breasts to him at the 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 diner in his head. Uh, see, I I'm so I'm I'm so against that day. You're so remember. focused on breasts, you can't even remember her name. Is what you're is what you're telling. Me. I'm saying that I I fast forward. I watched like the Mormon version of adaptation. <laughs> no, that, no, that, that no. I, I don't even see this woman. <laughs> that is, yeah. So I I it's interesting to me how much I love this movie because like it's it's a hard movie to love. Because it is so cold and so removed and so fucking sad by the end of it. And sad not just in tone, but and not sad just in emotion, but like this man is beaten, destroyed by the end of this. And it's it's difficult to make a movie with a destroyed protagonist that we care about, even though we don't know anything about him. Like, he doesn't have a life. He doesn't have, even with this woman that he is in a romantic relationship with, played by Terry Garr, she knows nothing about him because he doesn't know anything about him. Like, there's no connection to anything real and anything emotional. And yet, by the end, we're gutted by 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 the way that this all wraps up. It's like, it's an amazing movie in that way that it's hard to put words to, like, why am I affected by the destruction of this man when he has no connection to other humans and we don't know anything about him. And yet Hackman's performance is so good and Coppola's direction is so impeccable that you still feel it by the time the credits roll. The actress's name is Judy Greer. And I'm oh, just, yeah. There we go. Yeah, Judy Greer. She's a good you one. You knew it. You pervert. Yeah. You knew who I was talking about. <laughs> you non-Mormon pervert. <laughs> you knew. <laughs> I uh, I, you know, I think it's safe to say that we we like this uh, movie quite yeah, a bit. It's, it's and, pretty good, uh, not bad, you know. Yeah, it's uh, a work of genius. It's a masterpiece. It's pretty good. Yeah, uh, and uh, I don't think there's any nudity in it. So take the kids, you know, pop right. it on the 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 Blu-ray or I don't. They'll know. love it's gotta, it. It's, it's like got a, a 4K transfer yet, uh, Dave? No, yeah, you're usually on top no, of that. No, it doesn't. It does not. Unfortunately, it like you said, it's a. It. It's a hidden gem. It's it's missing, you know? Like, there is a Blu-ray of it, but it hasn't been out in years, you know? It was put out years ago. They haven't updated it. There's no extra special features. 
this like this just scre- I say this about a lot of movies that I really like, but this screams Criterion. This should be on on their collection. Like this feels like their kind of movie. Like honestly, if this movie had subtitles and was in French, it would be on Criterion, almost guaranteed. Says here uh, in February, well, February nineteenth, twenty twenty. Ooh, that's an ominous uh, day. Actually, I I remember this. Um, it did get a re-release because I remember uh, it was one of those like sort of like I don't think it was Fathom events, but it was one of those uh, mm-hmm. hey the conversations mm-hmm. playing at my local theater type thing. So um, yeah, uh, they did. He did go back and uh, what do you say? Coplas have always been especially proud of the conversation, partly because it was from my own original story and screenplay. I don't know about opening with that, a couple of saying, uh, because it was more of me. Patting myself <laughs> on the back. Ooh, this is you? This is who you want to be known as? Okay. I'm happy the movie became the very thing it was about, the invasion of privacy and its erosive impact on both victims and perpetrators. This was my goal when I conceived it over 40 years ago, and to my surprise, the idea still resonates today. This is a really... I'm really really pompous. feeling himself like, a little bit Jesus, here. I am amazing. I mean, I agree, but chill out. <laughs> I'm glad Rialto is bringing the film back to theater so people can experience it the way it was first presented on the big screen. As I said, February 19th, 2020. I wonder how that worked out. Because, mm, well um, done. Good timing. I think that's the way Harry Cole would have wanted it. Yeah. It's a very, uh, it's a very Bo Burnham, uh, kind of, uh, event. Like, you know, the whole thing. He finally is going to get ready to perform on stage again. And then 2020 happens. Also so. a really, uh, dorky. Uh, us lamenting like, man, worldwide pandemic just really killed the uh, <laughs> the rebirth of the conversation. <laughs> but here we are, and I'm pretty sure I bought this on iTunes. So, uh, yeah, uh, way to way to continue to invade your own privacy by mm. connecting with Apple and iTunes over the conversation, I'm just stimulating the economy, baby, trying to bring us all back, including Mr. Well Coppola. done. He needs Braver- it. He, his ego is in shambles. As uh, ah, he's selling off enough, enough wine, he'll be fine. <laughs> Don't yeah. you worry about Mr. Coppola. Uh, so yeah, um, check it out. If we've we've ruined the hell out of it, um, but we did not disparage uh, blowout. So if you would like, right. I would argue that it doesn't, it doesn't ruin it, Mike. I would argue that it doesn't ruin it. Like, I think even if you know the ending, I think this movie is still worth watching. I was about to argue there's a man who only calls back to breast shots on the film that uh, you will be rewatching Blowout again tonight. I mean, I'm that sounds like a really right good here. idea. I'm not going to lie. That sounds, sounds pretty good to me, honestly. Yeah. And I have it on criterion mate so that's the only place where good movies are so the conversation step your game up get to criterion and then maybe i'll watch you tonight (laughs) threatening yes a movie that apparently has its own thoughts and feelings that will react to my Mm -hmm. my attacks we have been uh, podcasting too long. Uh, this is uh, this is what happens. Uh, this is just like the character himself, just shadow boxing <laughs> with his own thoughts, <laughs> fighting himself. Just <laughs> I'm gonna watch adaptation tonight. Good call. For reasons. Good call, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is her name Judy? Is that is that the reason? The character's name is Alice the waitress. Thank you. Alice the waitress <laughs> doesn't even get a last name. Ouch. My God. Why don't you hang out with Susan Orlean instead of Alice the Waitress? Have some class. Do some drugs. Alice. Have a good time. Alice has a last name in my mind. (laughs) 
don't tell me. I don't. That's gonna ruin it for me. Tune in next week. I'll have a you full enjoying that <laughs> backstory for the <laughs> character and adaptation. And uh, yeah, if, you know, I hope you return. <laughs> Do you? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if I could, I